Welcome back to Lifelanes, the brotherly podcast where we explore stories from people from all walks of life. We are your host, Dom and Justin Mazza. Today, on today's episode, we have the very famous David Milo. Uh, David is an amateur photographer. He's also uh, pretty good at DIY projects, so we get into all of that. And then he also founded a really cool networking group that you know he'll be able to discuss a little bit more in detail with you guys. Today's episode is sponsored by SeatGeek. Use Skipper's View for 20% off for all your sporting event needs. Welcome, Dave. Oh, Dom, Justin, thanks for having me. How you doing today? We're doing great. We started yeah. off a uh, second cup of coffee in, and we're looking bright for the rest of the day. You know, it's 11 o'clock. I think, I think the second cup is fine. Uh, do, you do, do you go three? I do uh, three cups a day. Normally, the third one will be coming around two, three o'clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, you know, on the weekends, I usually just make a, a big French press and just kind of sip on that throughout the day. So whatever that equates to, probably two, two to three. But yeah, um, Dave, you know, we're all Dave, big coffee you, uh, drinkers. Yeah, the question I was going to ask, are you hot coffee or iced coffee or does it depend on the weather? Oh, it is weather dependent. Today we're going hot because I am I'm waiting for it to rain. And <laughs> when it rains, I don't like being cold, so hot coffee. But it could also be like snowing outside and be like, ooh, it's an iced coffee type of day. I yeah. don't like iced coffee. I, I feel iced coffee I drink it too quickly and then there it goes. Uh but Oh, you're missing all, out. Lindsay only drinks ice. She rarely, rarely drinks warm warm coffee. It is more like a dessert. Uh, I'm the same way with iced coffee, where I just fucking down it super quickly. But I don't know. If you drink iced coffee during the winter, you got to go see a therapist or something. Something's up. It's a coping mechanism. We all know that. I need, I need a referral, Dom. <laughs> that could be arranged. But, you know, we could talk about coffee all day. I'm actually drinking some of this uh, Tanzanian coffee that Justin and I brought back from our trip. But um, let's just get into it. You know, we, we appreciate you coming on the show. Um, you know, I've known you, Dave, now for a long time. Satan's boy, Shamanad boy, all throughout part of the, the OG crew. You do a bunch of different things, and we'll, we'll get into your various uh, careers and various ways that you know, you've been able to carve out an income for yourself. But, you know, we're going to start with one because I am super interested in this field, although I'm very poor at it. And that is photography. Hmm. So, you know, you've taken, do you take like professional headshots and stuff like that? I have. I've kind of dabbled in all the different areas of photography, uh-huh. um, but I use it more as a hobby than as, yeah. than as a career. Um, I thought about pivoting it into a career at one point, mm-hmm. And then I said, whoa, I don't have enough money to make this into a career right now. <laughs> so we put it on, we put it on the back burner for the time being. Is that as far as like upgrading like to the equipment necessary? It's equipment, and a lot of the time actually is, or a lot of the effort that has to be put in is on the back end. So mm-hmm. all the editing, um, if you're doing videography, that is a whole different world. Um, thankfully, that I don't want to get into. Mm-hmm. But photography, everybody has their own style. So, for instance, when we were picking a photographer for our wedding, you have to go in, you have to look at all the photographers and they present their style and there's no compromise on it. Oh. So if you want a different style, you just go find a different person. Yeah. 
I kind of respect that of them. You know, it's like they have their integrity and like they want to put out the best product that they're able to put out. And it's like, you know, you asking a chef to like make changes to their dish where it's like, oh, well, then now it's not going to be the dish that I envision. But um, we had a bunch of people when I was graduating, you know, uh, really try to sell their talents as far as headshots and graduation photos but i mean you can make like a good amount of money right just doesn't just doesn't Lindsay do some type of photography gig yeah she she is a what what she considers an outdated camera i didn't realize like how quickly like the equipment can change year over year mm. and i i always knew kind of how expensive but like with dom and i you know dom remember like the just the rectangle you know i don't know whatever they were like Hundred dollar like, cameras, two hundred dollar. Oh, the digital ones, the digital cameras are like just coming up. Before oh, CyberShot, yeah, like in between the the, the flip phone to iPhone because right, no one had cameras. So I'm always thinking about oh, these things cost like two hundred bucks, and she's got you know a couple thousand dollar camera. She's done um, so. LA Kick, we have photographers for all of our leagues, and it pays pretty well. Uh, but I guess you need certain lenses that work for action shots versus still mm. so like that's another thing and then dark versus light some some leagues have you know are in the evening light some are indoors some are outdoors so i could see the challenge behind it yeah there's there's i have more lenses that i would like to admit and i don't use all of them um but there is also a really really good secondary market for photography equipment right so if i'm either upgrading a camera or upgrading a piece of equipment I'll go sell my pre-existing equipment. One, because I live in New York and I can't stockpile photography equipment in my apartment. My wife would kill me. And then the other part of it is that you use that to fund, obviously, your other pieces of equipment. So my webcam, or what I'm talking to you guys on right now, is my professional camera. Right. So I get dual purpose out of it. And I have a whole bunch of other lenses and I've taken... Um, engagement photos, headshots, but really it comes down to, I like it recreationally. So I'll just take it wherever I go for travel. Right? And I bring different lenses wherever I go, right? So some of them are heavy. I don't like carrying them. Some are meant for specific purposes where if you gentlemen need headshots, let me know and I'll show up and I'll bring a very specific lens to take a headshot. Um, but yeah, it, it's a great, it's a great hobby, great profession uh, for those of you who can turn it into a career. So, Dave, are you bringing a specific lens depending on what type of like vacation or what type of trip you're going on? Yeah. So if I'm going on a trip that's primarily focused on landscapes, I'll use a wider angle lens compared to if I'm going to take somebody's headshots. Gotcha. Um, and there are some technicalities on how lenses work. And I'm not an expert in it, but I just know this from my use cases of it. So typically a photography or a portrait lens is about a 50 millimeter, captures the subject really nicely, creates a nice little background blur, blur called bokeh, and you get these nice, cool, crisp images. Now, if I'm going landscape, you're going to pick a much wider lens, which is a lower millimeter lens. So it'd be like a 24 or an 18 or something like that. And you're going to have this huge expanse uh, that you'll be able to capture. Mm -hmm. But you also have to be careful because if you go too low, then it almost turns into like a fisheye mm -hmm. and then it distorts the imaging. So if I'm going out and I'm going skiing and I want to take my camera and I don't want to carry something heavy, I'll throw on the smallest lens possible just for weight and 
you know, it makes it easier to capture everybody. Um, That's my but, biggest issue, yeah, with the panorama, like on your phone, where it just it always distorts the image, and you're like, "Fuck!" Like, yeah. This is. I'm trying to take a picture of what I'm seeing of this beautiful valley, and it just never captures it the way I want it to. It's a problem. Um, yeah. There's been a lot of technological increases with 360 cameras. Mm-hmm. Um, just the way that those cameras process the images, not necessarily the lenses on them. But the image processing has become much better over the years, and it, you know, corrects a lot of that distortion. Um, so you'll be able to capture a lot of it. I don't own a 360 camera. I would like to. Like I said, I don't need more equipment. So it's just one of those things where it's only a matter of time, though. Maybe a Christmas present from the wifey. Maybe a next year item. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really don't need it right now. Like I have a drone. I love drone photography. Um, I'd probably say that's my favorite, right? Drone photography. Drone photography is definitely my favorite. You get unbelievable perspective in the photos that you're taking. Um, yeah. Even 10 feet higher than how we normally see life is a big difference. Right. So, yeah. I remember when I was doing my uh, moving company, we were like showcasing this really nice house on the North shore, you know, 18 bedroom, like a huge mansion. And they were, they hired us to just move, furniture around to take photos and yeah there was just like a couple drones just like flying around the whole time and i was like oh i didn't realize that and this was you know uh, maybe almost 10 years ago now so i can't even imagine what type of drones go it is uh it's wild so justin was mentioning how technology changes so fast i bought a drone three years ago and the new one's coming out this year uh, last twice as long, are much quieter. The image quality is astronomically better. Mm-hmm. Um, that that whole side of photography is just exponentially getting better. Yeah, they are really loud. <laughs> that was like one of the biggest things I've even like a small one, you know, the size of like a coffee cup. It just mm-hmm. sounds like a zhing the whole time, and I was like, Whoa. and then yeah, I call them a beehive. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It is like a beehive. And you remember my friend Shube, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he had a drone and he was just like, oh, he's like, just put your hand under it. And like, if you grab it and turn it on the side, it turns off. And it's, you know, like these fucking propellers are going, I don't even know how fast. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. Man. Yeah, yeah, that is that is one way of turning it off. Same thing on mine. And I've used them on moving boats before because we'll go down fishing. My uh, my father and some of his friends and our sons, we try and do an annual trip. And using a drone on the water is absolutely gorgeous. And you can track fish. You can see sharks and whatnot. It's great. But catching a drone on a moving boat, oh, yeah. you better just be prepared <laughs> to, like, slice your fingers up. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah. I, I remember at a, a 4th of July party one time, Shub was being an ass and brought his drone and one of these girls like just really hates drones, so she just like slapped it out of midair with like the propellers jumping in, and it like it didn't touch somebody, but it like went like right across their gaze, and I was like, "Whoa, that could have been disastrous." <laughs> that was a couple millimeters to the other way. Yeah, that's not a good day. No, definitely not. Dave, one of my uh, my major client right now is a big furniture manufacturer supplier, and uh, so I do work for uh, education systems throughout the country. And uh, we visited their headquarters. They have a whole room dedicated, like the coolest setup I've ever seen live 
where literally it's just a chair and just, you know, probably $50,000 of equipment surrounding this just one normal looking chair, right? And they're taking all these photos and everything. And uh, so we were talking about like, what else do they use this equipment for? They're like, oh, when we get new people, we onboard them, we'll get, this is a, literally it's a $50,000 headshot, right? Is what you guys are taking. So the oh, chat with the guy and uh, I said, do you use drones? I said, yeah, we, we fly them through the school. I'm like, so when you say that, are the kids there? He's like, yeah, the kids are there. We just fly them around and we show kids using our furniture and like the collaborative spaces and everything. Like, that'd be sick. I'm just like a student, you know, I'm just like looking up and I'm just seeing the drone. Uh, and the videos are awesome. Like, they're really good hype pieces for the company. Is that what school's like these days? You just get drones flying through your Dude, classroom? I'm so out Everybody of touch. Everybody has a tablet. There's a drone <laughs> yeah. flying through. The, with oh, these clients, it's amazing. So a lot of my friends are teachers now. And like the difference between high school like what we were doing in high school what they're doing like oh not only like the classroom environment but like were we this vulgar when we were freshmen did we actually talk like this and like damn some of these kids man no filters they they have some mouths on them for sure dude especially at chaminade you know all boys school it's just like yeah i don't even want to repeat some of the things that were said at that school but uh, yeah, you know when when uh, we were in St. Aidan's, I remember the smart board where you had to like touch the dots to like turn it on. Justin, do you remember one of those? What was this? Say again. This was like when smart boards were first becoming a thing. You know, like they yeah. wheel it in. It's like this huge piece. Oh, on the wheel. Yeah, the whiteboard. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. And and to to turn it on to power it on, there was like these like little dots. There was like twelve of them, and you had to like touch them in a specific order to turn it on. And that was always like, uh, you know, ooh, can I turn it on? Can I turn it on? <laughs> the, ma- the majority of my office space, like any anywhere my company is. The office like walls are made for whiteboard marker. Like so, they just mm-hmm. paint over. There's yeah. a special paint that you do. I'm like that's such a better use of just a white wall that I hang a photo on. Yeah, yeah whiteboard paint's great. We have yeah. it in our offices too all the time. It's the key is Dave knowing which which uh, wall has <laughs> which it right, wall? <laughs> and then making sure you got the right marker in hand because you got a different marker. It doesn't matter what's gonna happen. That's right. <laughs> we have a. Yeah. Uh, we have like a big piece of text in the middle of every whiteboard or at least the wall. It says, this is a whiteboard wall. Oh, and that's fun so good. Font. Yeah. And everything else is do not write. Smart. I like it. Yeah. That's good. You know, at my gym, we have like this big whiteboard where everybody like records their scores for the workout hmm. and, and they'll like write the workouts. But now they've moved all that to an app. So they're no longer writing anything up, but it's like this, you know, huge whiteboard now. So everyone's like brainstorming, like, oh, what should we put on the whiteboard? What should we put on the whiteboard? And we haven't decided on anything yet. I said, like, motivational quotes, that'd be good. Or, you know, some pictures of Arnold Schwarzenegger or something, you know. Keep so, I was, so I was at a karaoke bar last night on the Lower East Side for my friend's nice. birthday. Right? And I was in the bathroom. And in the bathroom, there's a little plaque. Right? And normally bathrooms in the Lower East Side are covered in graffiti. Right. This bathroom, brand new, looks really nice. Little plaque. It says, Dear all artists, you know, it takes a lot of effort to clean graffiti off walls, very expensive. Right. But we have a graffiti wall just outside. 
go put your artwork on the wall outside. Tom, you could have like a, a graffiti wall or an artwork wall at the gym. I agree. I think it'll be great. You know, I just I just want uh, people to, you know, actually do it. You know, I don't want to be yeah. the one drawing it because I can't draw it for shit. Wait, Dom, would you ever in like a medical setting, like let's imagine there's a, a body or something like on the whiteboard and you'd ask patients to either show where it hurts them or draw like what it feels like to help communicate their symptoms? Or am I thinking way too artsy? What's the point of like pointing on a board compared to pointing on themselves? You can't get in, you know. I can only point to my stomach, but I can't. I can't look inside my stomach. Sometimes mm. you just know. Sometimes you're like, well, it's in my lower stomach, but not my ab. You know. You know what I'm saying? You don't get. We it. have a word for those types of people. We say either poor or accurate historians. Mm. I thought you were just going to end up poor. I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> not that cruel but like you know those people that just like talk in circles and you're just like what the fuck did you just say so are you in pain patient is a poor historian <laughs> they're like oh i i went to the doctor and they gave me this medication like all right who'd you see i don't know what medication i don't know all right, <laughs> what am i supposed to do about that uh, what's a word that people say that bothers you guys that's not a real word i have one if you want me to give you an example Give me an example because I think I have a couple in my mind already. Or, or a word that people use incorrectly all the time. Mine is uh, irregardless. Yes. Are you directing that at a certain person that uses yes. that word a lot? <laughs> uh, no, no one really comes to mind. I think mine is its use case of words. Are you using informal words in formal settings? That's like the word comfortable. If I'm talking to somebody in the workplace, I'm not going to use the word cozy. And some people use very informal words in very formal settings, and it drives me nuts. That, that's a good point. You know, one that I would say for a while, which I didn't realize wasn't a word, was conversate. It converse? sounds like a word. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's just converse. Yeah. <laughs> Tough. Yeah. I remember Mrs. Mongelli called me out on that. It's like, Bitch, <laughs> <laughs> Dave. I uh, it, it's funny you say like just the workplace because so I'm dealing with some really technical people within my company, and uh, something they may fall short of is how to communicate it. So mm. I always on calls. I'm like, can you dumb it down for my pea brain? So if I can understand it, then I we communicate because I think that's another thing in the workplace where some people are just super smart. Uh, but they don't know how to either bring it to a higher level where everyone can understand it uh, or communicate the technicalities or the details of it. So, again, like if I'm not in your space, how do I understand your terminology, right? Absolutely. I, I see it every day, but that's why we're employed. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> right. I have, I have job security. It's time to be us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also deal with a lot of uh, technical individuals. So, and we might get into this a little bit later, but I do a lot of analytics and reporting as part of my career and analytical people and individuals who are working in uh, dashboards and reporting may not have the best personable skills. So translating that into, um, we call them product areas, but essentially they're leaders and say, I need to know this information. Tell me how you're getting it out of the data. And that chain of communication 
it takes a lot of interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a good way to phrase it. Interpretation, you know, it's like uh, you have two different, very, you know, you have two people that speak different languages, and you're the interpreter. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and if you can even, do that, you'll have a job in the industry yeah, for sure. Yeah, you just be the conduit. Like we, when we interview our our new uh, college grad hires, we had 500 people who joined just consulting this summer, and I was talking to my my future mother-in-law because she does career counseling, career coaching, everything. It's like, so why do you hire these kids? So they do two things. If they do two things well, I could teach them everything else. Can they pick up a data set or pick up something and learn what it's trying to tell you, right? So whether that be slice and dice the data, whether it be just look at a chart and be like, what's the most important thing? And then can you tell a story? Like, can you take that and make it engaging enough where... If, if the data doesn't influence you, like, why should I give a crap? And if you could do that, mm-hmm. I'll teach you everything else. That's it. I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't know if either of you have ever taken this assessment, but it's called a Clifton Strengths Assessment. Have yeah. you heard of that? No. I think of a book around that. Awesome. I have two books sitting on my, on my yeah. shelf up here. What's it called? Like Clifton what? Clifton Strengths Assessment, and it's sponsored Dean, by Gallup, which is a company. Can we pull that up? So as part of my organization, uh, or as part of my company, right, they require all employees to go through this. And it basically lists out a set of 34 strengths. Nothing is defined as a weakness. You are just less proficient in this area than a higher strength. And what it does is it highlights areas where you're incredibly strong, but it also highlights blind spots, right? And for one of my top ones, it is strategy. And being very strategic, right, you can often forget to tell the story on where you're trying to direct something to go. So you have to bring people up to speed. So if you could tell the story correctly, you could basically get buy-in for anything you need. And then at that point, you could become a a successful professional and a leader because you have people backing your use cases. to Justin's point, if you can, if somebody has that intrinsic knowledge already, then I believe that they're already on a road to success. Everything else can be taught, literally everything else. Right, right. Kind of, you know, Justin and I, we watch a ton of sports and they always talk about these intangibles, right? Like, what are the qualities or traits of an individual that you can't really teach them, right? You know, because it's mm-hmm. like if you cross those boxes, you got a spot and vice versa. You could be super talented, but if you don't, if you lack certain intangibles, it's like, ah, like, you know, there's only so far that we can go with you. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And, and, but it, it comes down to how do you pair with others, right? So if you're building a team and, and Dom, you obviously work in the workplace and Justin, you may have a team and I, I host a team on my side of the house, right? You could have two people on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. But it's like yin and yang, and they match up with each other, and they pair well because mm-hmm. the opposite skill sets will complement each other really, really well. Knowing how to interpret that, I'm not the best at it, to be perfectly honest with you, but it is very important for building a team. Mm-hmm. Right? So I would say anybody in the future who, and even in friend groups, you're going to have you're going to have some people in our friend group who I'm not going to name who are on the complete opposite side of the spectrum of some people. Um, just based on where they live or their professions or hometowns, you kind of name it. Right. But yeah, we're all still friends. So, you know, that, that team kind of 
building mentality, it made me think of, uh, I just did an escape room for the first time. Dave, have you ever Ooh. done one of those? I have not. I've wanted to. Dude, it was super fun. But, you know, going through it, we had five people. And, you know, really, it's like, it could be disastrous if somebody is wanting to drive the bus and not willing to have other people, you know, partake in it. And that would be a great way to, you know, for like new employees to like all get together and like do this escape room because you really see personalities come out in that. Oh, absolutely. There's there's always somebody who might be trying to command, but they're steering that ship right into a into a, yeah, a, a reef cliff or something. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, great. You know, we, we touched on your photography skills. Uh, another thing that I'm really impressed about you, Dave, is your ability. You're just really like a really crafty individual. And I feel like you've always been pretty crafty, like growing up, you know, you were like good at drawing and you can do like these random things. You just knew how to do things before other people did, which was great. Um, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago, you were really big into building bar carts. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something that you're still doing or is that put on hold for now? It's put on hold and it's really just for availability of space, right? So yeah. basically when I moved into the city and my family sold their house long out, I lost my quote unquote wood shop, which was also our family garage. Mm -hmm. So I haven't been building in a long time, but like the desk that I'm sitting at right now is something that I've built. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the furniture in my apartment and some of my friends' apartments is what I've built. Um, and it all started out of necessity, which was... I wanted a new desk when I was a teenager and nobody wanted to buy a desk for me. So I said, all right, I have to go make this. And I basically gave myself a budget and I drove myself to Home Depot and I said, okay, what can I do for like $300? Mm -hmm. And it's actually the same desk that I have right here, right? So wow. it's just iron frame pipes. So I go for a more industrial look um, and very, very minimalistic. And I told myself, how do I stain wood? How do I polyurethane? How do I thread pipe? How do I, um, it's kind of like Legos really when you think about this because everything screws into itself. But right. what's the proper desk height? I don't know. I had to do all that research. I don't know what height I'm supposed to be sitting at. Uh, I think it's like 28 and a half inches or something like that if I remember. But And are you teaching yourself like on YouTube or you just, you know, you kind of do it, you run into a problem and you're like, all right, I should Google this. That, so some of it's a lot of YouTube, uh, but YouTube wasn't really that prevalent when I started making these things, right? Mm -hmm. So anything related to electricity, go to YouTube or I'm asking somebody else. I don't like electricity, mm -hmm. right? I'm not trying to get shocked. I have been before. Not fun, right? But dimensionally, I can pretty much figure out how anything works, right? Mm -hmm. So if you give me – I have a bunch of like wooden puzzles and stuff throughout this apartment – where if you look at it for long enough and you understand the moving parts, you can basically reconstruct it if you take it apart or you can articulate to somebody how they could do it themselves. And that's all that woodworking or DIY stuff is. Um, I used to sell them. So I made, I wanted a folding table. So I figured out, all right, how can I make these uh, black iron gas pipes fold? And I haven't seen a folding black iron gas pipe table to this day. So I might've been the only one who created it to my knowledge, uh, sold a couple of those and then went on to bar carts. Uh, Cause mm -hmm. I think everybody should have a bar in their house um, and started making them kind of from scratch. You know, what is, what wood is strong enough to hold 40 liquor bottles? 
I don't know. I built a bar cart. I put some bricks on it. Wood broke. I needed a different piece of wood. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't going to waste the, waste the liquor, but, you know, that's how you kind of teach yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, a lot of it's just trial and error. And, you know, yeah, you brought up a good point. I mean, 10 years ago, YouTube was not what it is today, where now you can just Google how to and, you know, whatever comes up. Literally anything comes up. Yeah. Um, you know, I had a bar cart here and I tried to put it together and it was just really frustrating and I had to have Justin come up and he's a little bit handier than I am. So. Well, it was it was also just putting it together. Like Dave, I I built my original one in my place. I like did the research what would actually I used I bought a bunch of fence posts and cut it down the oh, size. Great. And I did this at my dad's again at my wood shop, right? As as we apartment live. I bring it over, I'm super ha happy with it. It's two inches too long. I love gotta that. Be, gotta be kidding. Classic. I had to bring it back, cut everything back, like take like take the whole thing apart. Of course, I did this stupidly in the winter, so it's freezing as hell. Like Lindsay, I'm, I'm like I'm like I need someone, you know, another set of hands. She's pissed off because she doesn't even like the damn wooden bar cart. I finally just caved after three years of having this. I bought her for her birthday. I bought her like one of the nice gold bar carts that every woman wants. Um, of course. But it's fun to be handy. The it's it's funny because like I'm looking around like my my office and it's I'm like really big into model making. Like I'll get something that I want to paint myself that I want to put together. And what I like about it, it's something I can come back to on a consistent basis. Like even I did this uh this wooden uh, globe, which was really mm -hmm. cool, and it's like a puzzle. I'm trying to pull it off the side without breaking it. Um, but uh. Like things like that, it's fun to just come back to over and over. The problem with the woodworking or anything like that is you need a tool set and you need a place oh, to put it all. And like the that's tools. the pain in the ass piece. I mean, if you think of IKEA as being the most entry level for any sort of DIY, and they give you an Allen wrench. And then after building something at Ikea, you really just want to like, oh, that looks great. It's a wooden puzzle globe, and it like twists. It has a magnifying glass. I know. It's oh, cool. man. Lights up. Oh, I love those things. <laughs> Wait, it lights up? Nerd alert. Yeah. Show it. I, I just unplugged it to move it, Dom. Now, now you're ruining. <laughs> you're ruining how cool it is. <laughs> Find Dom, a way, where, Justin. Where are your desk trinkets, Dom? He's not a you know, I didn't, I didn't build these, but you know, I got this little drum, <laughs> Akuna Matata. All right. All right. These trinkets. Right. <laughs> got a couple other little desk things. I uh, got this. What are the What are these things called? With the big heads. Oh. Um, oh. Dean, do you know what these oh are called? Oh my gosh! You guys don't know what that's called? Oh, oh you know, I, I do. I do. It's called a Funko Pop. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the that's the major one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I think they're all Funko. Is pops. that Curtis Martin, Dom? Those are all it's Funko. Ba pops. It's Barry Sanders. Oh, I that's got cool. him <laughs> when I bought a Madden, and it just came with this. That's a really pop. cool little, <laughs> like, hey, I don't mind that. I know. He's pretty cool. Yeah. People, dude, these get so expensive. Have you seen they, some of these? Uh, Andre resells them and will, like, quadruple his investment. Oh, such an Andre thing to do. I'm not yeah, surprised. <laughs> you got to go to his apartment. He's got 100 of them. He's got like limited a lot of eyes market. looking at me. Yeah. Yeah. Fun <laughs> the Funko Funko Pop market is insane. Yeah. Dave, but just like on the 
are, are were you so Dom said you were like uh I guess like crafty right growing up so like drawing and such I'm, I'm curious because I, I know we'll get into your career a little bit like why didn't you pursue something a little bit more hands-on like I mean you know my background <laughs> I tried architecture it's like screw this they make no money they work long hours I'm not doing this yada yada right so I I like pursued that and just didn't work right so I'm just curious yeah. You know, is it the photography that is your craftiness or is it, is it the side business kind of stuff? I'm just kind of curious from a career path. Yeah. So, you know, I put a lot of thought into it, let's say about six years ago. And I actually got a contract from the Santa Monica Pier Company for the folding tables. And I wasn't going to be able to fulfill it at that point in time. So I couldn't, I couldn't issue the contract. But that was really like the big opportunity that I had. Sure. And it was probably a maturity thing. And and did I have the resources available at that immediate time to make something happen? The answer really was no. Right. But to your point is, why was I, why am I crafty? Why was I doing it? And how do I kind of translate that into today? Because I still feel that I get that fix out of this without actually building something tangible. So a lot of the work that I do today is on dashboards and analytics or tools and so on, or even shaping somebody's career, right? And it doesn't have to be a tangible item, but you can see something progress and get the same type of satisfaction out of it, right? When you see, I have a, I have a group of mentors, um, both through work and I have a different set of mentees um, outside of work. And when you see them either hit a milestone or you see them go into a job, you get a sense of satisfaction, right? Because you're taking ownership in their final product, which is their life, right? So I still get that type of satisfaction today. It's just in a little bit of a different form. It's in a little bit of an intangible form. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I think like... um I talked to a couple creative people, I guess you went for, let's call it like photography majors or different art mm-hmm. majors. And it seems like, at least in our generation, a lot of folks are either using that as like a, like a secondary, right? Like, let's say you go and major in photography. I know a lot of people with a, uh, an arts degree that went into now that maybe they're a recruiter full-time for a company, kind of pays the bills a little bit more. And then they use that as a passion and do have a side business just such like that. You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity with um, kind of the gig economy that we're in now mm-hmm. and the different positions that you can do it. Like to your point, that's got to be pretty cool though, man, to receive a purchase order. Be like, wow, like if I wanted to go do this, here's my opportunity. Yeah. Um, but that's got to feel really rewarding. It was for a hundred. I remember the order to this day. It was for 120 tables. Jeez. And I was just like, I don't have the infrastructure in place to issue 120 tables. And at that point in time, there's a lot of implications with fulfilling an order of that magnitude to also not just like a personal order or somebody on Etsy. This is, you have to put your products through a whole bunch of different testing. You have to go through safety regulations. What if your product lights on fire, right? What is the, what is the burn metric of it? What if somebody's standing on top of your table and falls off? Is it my fault or is it Santa Monica Pier Company's fault or what is it? There are so many 
layers of it that I wasn't ready to go through at that point in time to put it into a full business. So I called them up. I said, listen, I'm not gonna be able to fulfill this order. I appreciate it, but well, I have to stay a small shop at this point in time. Uh, How much would you have made? Uh, it would have been pretty sizable. Uh, give, the the num- give the number. Give the number. Give the number. Numbers. Yeah. The- uh, it, it was about a quarter of a million. Ah! Yeah. Wait for a hundred tables. No, that, that's the purchase order. He's got expenses. Yeah. Don't worry, guys. This yeah. No, I know. Yeah. I know. Pay for that. I know. I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm not an idiot. But like for for tables mm-hmm. for a hundred tables. Yeah. 120 tables. That's awesome, dude. Can, can, people, can somebody do that math? What is it? I got it, Dom. I got it. I got yeah, it. Do that it, math. It reminds me, actually, so we had Joe on, and like he 5, said the biggest difference between being an at-home A little over 2,000. Being yeah. the biggest difference between an at-home cook and being a professional is the consistency and quality. And the first mm-hmm. thing you said when you went to 120, like, they all need to look and feel exactly the same or they're not going to sign off on that PO. Yeah. And that is really hard to do for an at-home DIY guy. Yeah, if if nothing is like automated and you're kind of just doing it all by hand. Jeez, so much everything by it. hand. I don't have a wood shop. Where do I get this lumber from? Where do I get all this pipe from? I can't just go like raid every Home Depot on Long Island. That just won't. <laughs> that just won't work. You're like, ah, oh, he's back. Uh. <laughs> it's like someone but with uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cards and raiding. Hmm. I don't. I. I yeah. Came quickly off mute. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, Dave, you know we we've jumped around quite a bit today, and you're you're just such a, a renaissance man. You really are, and I mean that. You know, you're you're able to pick that. things up pretty quickly, and there's always a resource out there that you can find where you're like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I'm gonna go look it up. And I like that about you. Um, Thank you. Let's switch it up a little bit to you know, a little bit more career oriented. You mentioned that, uh, there's this networking group that you've Mm -hmm. either founded or that you're a part of. Can you go into that a little bit more, you know, networking and mentorship is something that's come up on this podcast a lot. And we want to keep that trend going. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll give you the, the brief history of it and then I'll talk about kind of current day. Right. So about eight years ago, I started a networking group called Next Generation Industry Leaders, and the impetus behind it was I was lucky enough to grow up uh, under the tutelage of my father, and he owns his own business. So I got to meet all of his industry friends. I knew all of their children. I knew what everybody did. And it came to my attention one day when I was was at a golf outing, and one of his friends brought one of their children. And I was going around, I'm like, do you know this person? Do you know this person? Do you know that person? And like, I knew everyone. I had grown up with them for years. My father used to pull me out of school at St. Aidan's and say, no, we're taking off on Monday. We're going golfing. So we've got to golf out. Right. And when the person didn't know who these people were, and this is, you know, like I said, only eight years ago, I was like, you're, we're just starting our careers. We need to know these people. Mm-hmm. Right. So how about I put everybody together? So the first meeting in the event that we had was only about 40 people. And it was all parents and their children. And it was either children looking to get into the industry or just children who were working in New York City. And we introduced everybody and we said, all right, listen, this is not for the parents. The parents already know each other. They're all good friends. This is for us, right? So let's start hanging out. Let's talk more. Let's grow our relationships from the beginning. 
And then from that point forward, we've hosted, I think 10 events, so about one a year. And I'm not capping, we do some like small happy hours, but our events are about 175 people per event. And, you know, it's a sizable investment to go in and put this all together and we have to go to venues and so on. Um, so we have a small company running behind it. But the purpose of it is, is to keep, keep those networks alive and say, hey, I want to introduce you to somebody else that you should know, right? And here's why you should know them. Now, there's no business being done at the events. That's like rule number one. And say, if you want to do business, you schedule that on your own. I'm only here to facilitate connections. Mm -hmm. Have a good time, hang out. Part of it is for me, right? So if I can get all 175 people in a room that I need to speak to in one night, great. Now, if somebody within that, right, goes in and say, oh, well, I met one person tonight. That's really important to me. That's all the value that they need to come back again. So we're going to host another event actually coming up in May or June of 2024. And a lot of people will say, can I bring somebody? And I said, okay, why do you want to bring them? Right? Because I go through the list for every single event and I curate it. I say, what's going on in the industry right now? Who needs to meet who? Why do they need to meet each other? So if you want to bring somebody in, it's not that it's private per se, but I want to make it valuable to the other people in the room. And not just saying, I want to introduce my friend to one person mm -hmm. or I want to introduce my friend to you because I could do that at a bar. I could go meet them for lunch or whatever it is. And with that mentality that we've been able to facilitate over the last couple of years, people have found it incredibly valuable, right? People have gotten jobs out of it. We've taken students in their senior years and we've got, we've got them placed immediately. No questions asked to say, you're going to come work here. I like you. You're a good person and we're going to put you in there. Or I've had people change jobs, I've had people join my team. So part of it is like having a running bench for my for my future team as well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a great opportunity for anybody who, who attends, in my mind. Dave, how is it structured for the attendees? Like, um, so are they paying a fee per event? Are they paying an annual fee? What does that look like? We're at a fee per event right now. Um, to be honest with you, if we were a little bit more organized as a as a company, and we could forecast some of our events further out, it'd be an annual fee. Um, but a fee per event right now works perfectly. So just in, you know, in our industry, there's like Cornet. And Cornet is a massive global real estate organization, covers everything. We are a speck on the spectrum of something sure. that size. This is New York specific industry and future leaders that we want to curate conversations with. Um, so come if you want. And if you can't make it, no worries, stay in touch and, you know, we'll try and get you at the next one. Um, and it's, we don't have panels right now. We've, we've um, had people make some short speeches at the events, but it really is come in and just relax and network, right? We're not trying to do too much. And when people are comfortable in the environment that they're in, they have a tendency to really, really excel. This is uh, an interesting idea dave and it's making you know my head spin a little bit where it'd be great if i could organize something like that in in vermont um and we can you know discuss this a little bit you know more outside of the podcast but what kind of event space are you using for these these events so we, we have our informal and our formal ones and the informal ones are easy that's just like a happy hour at a bar and we'll just we'll call a place up and mm -hmm. that's like 40 people 
whoever mm-hmm. wants to come. It's kind of, and it's a pay your own way. So if you want to have a drink, you can have a drink and they're free admission. You pay your bar tab at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. So whatever you want to do. The other ones are a little bit more complicated. And we go in, we'll call venues, we'll try and find unique venues that represent the uniqueness of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually the venue that I got married at, which is the Union League Club in New York City, I host events there. We host them um, at some other private clubs throughout Manhattan. And a lot of it, honestly, is due to cost, right? So oddly enough, the cheapest places in Manhattan are private institutions. Mm-hmm. And a private institution, a lot of the members of our networking events belong to them as part of building their own networks. And either they'll offer up space or we'll honestly, we'll call upon them and say, hey, do you mind hosting this? You could be the host of the event. We'd love to honor you in that type of fashion, but we actually just need a place to, to have the event. Um, and obviously we'll pay for the event space and we'll pay the bar tab and you name it, but that's kind of how we structure them. Um, doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be at a, um, ballroom or a at a private club just need to be somewhere where everybody can communicate it's like you honestly you could go to a park yeah and it'd be easy enough right yeah we've uh we've tried this uh well so la kick right very different dave i mean you know about the organization but like we've tried to do the professional setting networking event never stuck because i think people join a sports club probably just play sports and then organically You'll just connect yeah. with people, uh, which is fine. And then I'm also a big member of American Heart Association on Long Island. Mm-hmm. And something we've been trying to do a lot more is our young professional networking event. We probably have like 30 or 40 people. Challenges, scheduling. The challenge is also, like Don, when you said something about Vermont, my first thought that Dave not has it easier, but Dave, you know, New York City is a plethora of people in a more mm-hmm. condensed area. Uh, yeah. Long Island, our biggest issue, like they're scheduling <laughs> things at Great South Bay on a Wednesday. Like I'm not driving over an hour to go have two beers to drive an hour back, right? Like because it's such a widespread um, geographical location. So you know when you have eight million people stuck on an island like Manhattan, you could have an opportunity to grow this thing, which is cool. Um, so it's it's cool that you guys have that opportunity to do so. Is um just to follow up like on your events. How do you, um, so if they're just like happy hours or such, like if, I, if I'm a new person, right? Mm-hmm. How do you facilitate that as an open, like obviously natural, I don't want to call it clicks, but natural groups will happen event after event. That's how it goes. So if a new person and I come in, do you guys have introductions? Do you guys email saying this is a new people who are joining the group? Like how do you create a welcoming environment for newer? Sure. Members? So it's not even that formal, but there is a board. Uh, there's a board of directors for the organization. And part of the board's responsibilities before each event to say, who was at the previous event? We already know them. Who owns that relationship? So out of the 175 people, um, and we have nine board board members, inclusive of myself, say, all right, 20 of them are mine, 15 are another person. You know, You only got five, another person has 20, and so on. The person who owns that relationship should also be the person who makes sure that individual who's coming and bringing a guest, that their guest is comfortable, right? Go in, reintroduce yourself. Hi, thank you for being here. So on simple things like that go a really long way. I want to introduce you to somebody else, right? And before individuals come, and it's simple things, it's like when you register for your ticket, hey, what company are you at? Or are you still in school? 
what are you doing? What do you want to be doing? And that's enough information for us to make decisions on who we should introduce you to. Right. And my type of introduction is Justin, thanks for coming to the event. Meet Dom. Great. You guys talk about whatever you want to talk about. And I got to go somewhere else because I'm the host of the event. Right. But if you put people in a position kind of where they have to talk to each other, some conversation is going to come out of it. Right. It's very, very rare that I'm going to introduce somebody. I don't know if it's ever happened. And they're just like, uh, okay, great to meet you. Turn around and then they go to the bar. Those aren't the individuals who are coming to the event in general. <laughs> I feel like you could almost make a business out of helping people set up these events. You know, in a previous career before I got into real estate, right out of college and was part of my internship, I used to host events. Um, it was part of a company called the Future Workplace where I did a bunch of generational research and so on. And part of that company, I would host events for executive leadership all over the country. Mm. So we had, and it was primarily for HR and primarily for, so it was HR, L&D, and heads of real estate. And the company focused on how individuals interact with the workplace and how, in, and how different generations interact with the workplace and their management. Right. So if we're all in a workplace, some people prefer closed glass offices, they want the corner office, that's what they've been going for their entire life. Other people want an open floor plan. And how does that affect management and so on? So I learned how to host these types of events there. And luckily enough, my wife is also a professional event planner for a large law firm. So I get a little extra help, uh, which goes a long way. But it's really not that hard. Right. If you get enough people in a room and you just say, hey, meet me here on this date. Here's what we're going to be doing doesn't have to be big ours has grown over the years but like i said we started off pretty small right i feel like there's like a formula like i think of like pixar movies where like they all kind of run in the same direction they just try to kind of change very minute details and you know for this event planning it's like all right you know this is what we need this is kind of like the flow of it and you just insert whatever specific details that you want if you asked me for a run-up show today, which is typically what it's referred to, I could give you one probably within the next 10 minutes. Right, like I, exactly. have, I have old ones saved. Or today, <laughs> somebody could just go on and go ask like ChatGPT or Bard or whatever it is, create me a run-up show for a networking event. What do I have to do? And it'll come up with a step-by-step -step guide. I've that's never great. heard of ChatGPT. Is that is that a new band or something? Yeah, it's a, that's a new band. You haven't heard of that one? No, no. Okay, maybe we should <laughs> start to use their services a little bit. <laughs> Are we going to get sponsored by them? <laughs> well, Dave, this has been great. We do, we do know, have a sponsor. Tom. I think we should just do the sponsor at the beginning when we do, you know, like, welcome to All right, last, last time we forgot, so. No. <laughs> You said it like mid-episode. You threw it in like mid-episode. I know. Now it'll be incorporated, though, into the flow. Um, but, you know, we're wrapping up here. Dave, we really appreciate you having on. Um, you know, I just want to end on a quick holiday note. You know, Christmas is around the corner. Did you get all your holiday shopping in? I did. did it all in November. I am not surprised. <laughs> Same. Well, now it's so easy. You know, you just go on go on Amazon, you know, for Black Friday or Cyber Monday. And it's not even a specific day anymore. It's like the whole yeah. month of November is Cyber Monday. So you just you just buy a bunch of shit. I feel like with me, it's I forget if I bought something or not. And, you know, because what I do is I just buy it. I get it shipped to my dad's house. 
you know, so all throughout the November, December, he's just getting these random packages. And then all of a sudden I bought like $300 for someone worth of just like random gifts. I was like, oh, damn, I should probably dial it back a bit. Nah, it's okay. Just yeah, it's all right. Exactly. That's it's a fine. good problem to have. Yeah. Um, but I'm well, all set. I wrapped them all up. They're underneath. Uh, we have a tree in the living room. They're there. And then uh, we'll bring them to the respective homes that they need to go to. Yeah. Are you guys going to your parents' apartment for uh, Christmas? Going to my parents' place. We're actually doing that. Here's the holiday schedule. Let me run it out for you. Let's hear it. 22nd, my parents. Mm-hmm. 23rd, Long Island. Might see you. Maybe. Oh, well, might see or? Will. Will. Um, 24th, Merrick. 25th, Huntington. And then uh, I hope that's it. That is quite quite a, a banger. Yeah. You know, I was I was a little upset my white elephant got denied. Tyler, you had to go and pitch this stupid secret Santa that you guys are doing. So I, I didn't pitch the secret Santa actually. Who did? I think that might have been uh I think that, that was bad. Well, it doesn't make sense to do a secret Santa with people all across the country. <laughs> That's kinda of dumb in my eyes. The poor but... the poor guy the poor guy he get like he gets like scraps he gets like hand-me-downs for christmas his entire life he just wants to live he wants to be a kid again yeah that reminds me of a weasley in that family <laughs> tom you should have joined it's a great i mean i i'm very dave i don't know who you have but it's fun little, here. i wanted to I, do the white elephant because it's better in person to do these <laughs> gift exchanging well yeah everyone but pat would give their secret santa gift in person no how many people, how many people you have doing it yeah, it's different. It's just one on one. Have you ever done a white yeah. elephant, Justin? Have you done a white elephant? They're the worst. What do you mean they're the worst? Oh, the what? Where you buy a gift and then you trade around, and there's a max yeah. trade. Have you not seen the episode of The Office when he buys the iPod and people just want the iPod? Well, you have to. No, put, you have to give. You have to give, have to give people parameters. Well, that's yeah. Why, it's well, like there's 25... always gonna be a Michael. <laughs> Dude, I already Isn't... had my gift. I was gonna get a Bob Ross chia pet. <laughs> oh, that'd be good. No. Don, we can still do it. Hey, me, you, us. <laughs> me, you. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna send out another one in that group because I would love to do it, even if it's just like eight people. I think Deirdre said she would do it. So, is she coming? Yeah, D's coming. D, D's nuts. <laughs> Too easy. D, D and her um, sister are, are top listeners. They, they, they dim the lights, light the candles, watch the full episode on the TV. One dude oh, on my man. soccer team told me that him and his girlfriend listened to every episode on a road trip. <laughs> I was like, Honestly, hey, good content. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's good. It's entertaining. You know, we talked yeah. about some, some, some good stuff. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap it up. Dave, uh, stay on for a second. You know, we need to record our intro, but I know Tyler needs you to be on in order to, no, to finish recording. It's actually better if he leaves. Let Never me just mind. let me just make sure he has uh oh. he's uploaded. Yeah, Dave, you can leave. It happens okay. that fast. Yeah. Well, thanks, Dave. Uh, thanks, it'll buddy. be out in like a day or two. Love it, Dom, Justin, Tyler. Good seeing you, fellas. Oh, Dean. Dean. Let me. Re- I'll redo that for you, Tyler. Make it easier on your end. No, I don't feel like cutting it. <laughs> Well, I'll All see right, you. Fellas, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. See you this uh, weekend. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Bye bye. See you, boys.